Welcome to Operation Flourish, a podcast designed to help you flourish in all aspects of life. Whether you're a Miss America contestant, an athlete, or someone with a growth mindset striving to unlock your full potential, this podcast is for you. I'm your host, Kayla Myers, Miss Northeast. Let's dive into today's episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Operation Flourish podcast. So last week, we talked about the law of marginal gains and how everything compounds or adds up over time, whether that be in alignment with your goals or in the opposite direction of your goal and you get a law of marginal losses. So if you did not listen to that episode, I highly recommend you give it a listen. It was a really popular one, and for good reason, because it's one of the magic tricks, I say, that can help transform your life and your ability to reach and achieve your goals. But this week, I really wanted to take that concept of the law of marginal gains and apply it to nutrition. I'm a certified precision nutrition coach and also do nutrition assessments for the community in Muncie, Indiana, through Ball State University's Healthy Lifestyle Center. And in these positions, I'm constantly finding myself talking to people who really want and desire to make nutritional changes or have been told by their doctor that they might need to make a nutritional change, but they feel discouraged. Actually, just this past week, I had a first session intake with a brand new client at one of the centers I work at. And in this session, he started crying. And now my counselor instincts came out. So I listened to him actively and I validated his concerns. He explained to me that he's been struggling immensely with fluctuating in his weight about 70 pounds of this range. It's like a roller coaster. He told me he felt so ashamed and he felt like he was losing control. He started to hate himself. And he told me about how he made big changes before to lose weight, but once he hit his goal, he stopped and he found all of that weight again, if not more, and felt incredibly discouraged. And he felt trapped in this cycle. The client told me he felt hopeless, but was so thankful he heard of the free nutrition assessments and appointments at the Healthy Lifestyle Center. Now, this is something that so many people can relate to. Feeling discouraged by weight fluctuations, by what feels like a lack of control over their lifestyle or a lack of understanding. Struggling with fad diets whether it be keto, paleo, low-carb, high-carb, high-fat, so many different diets that exist, just an overall restriction, feeling like you have to make big and dramatic changes. Now going back to that client, after talking with me and him being so vulnerable to share how he was feeling, we were able to strategize. And by the end of our first session, this client was able to leave feeling validated, but also excited about some of the small strategies we talked about to make changes to his nutrition and his physical activity. 
so many people think that they need to make major nutritional changes to experience health benefits or to reach their goals or even make progress to their goals. And yes, I acknowledge that, you know, big changes might be effective at first, that big fad diets might be effective in the short term. But more times than not, they are unsustainable. What I highly recommend instead is making small, consistent, and daily changes. In my field of work, I have truly realized there is immense power in making small changes that can empower people and lead to big, compounding change towards goals. So, for today's episode, I will be sharing a lot of tips for you in areas of eating out, snacking, switching modifications for food and substitutions, behavior change, you name it. We are diving into all areas. Now, there are a lot of tips, so I give you the warning not to overwhelm you, but because nutrition is so vastly different for everyone. And unfortunately, there is not a one-size-fits-all solution. Some changes that I recommend, these small changes, they're going to be easier for some people. And for other people, they might feel harder or feel like big changes because of a lot of factors. Like lifestyle, maybe their financial status, maybe food preferences coming from a picky eater here who's got a lot of stomach issues with my GERD. (laughs) So, with that in mind, knowing there's a lot of strategies I'm going to be giving today, I recommend listening for the options and strategies that really resonate with you and seem feasible and realistic. And as you hear those, maybe even writing them down or taking a note on your phone, computer, or whatever device you're listening to this podcast on. That way, You have tangible strategies to take away from this episode that you can try, and I like to say experiment with, to see what works best for you and what the small changes are that you can maintain to get big results over time. And these results don't have to be for weight loss, for weight gain. It doesn't have to be a set body composition goal. It can also be a goal for your long-term health. I have clients who find their deeply rooted why to be able to keep up with their kids. I had one client of mine who wanted to fit back into his Boy Scout clothes so he could go be active with his son at Boy Scouts and relive his glory days. It can be avoiding falls, avoiding disease. There are so many reasons, so many things we're working towards. And the way to get to those big, what we call outcome goals, is by these small process goals. It all goes back to our early goal-setting episode, which we've now built on by adding the law of marginal gains. And these small little goals that we set add up over time. And with that, you've had enough anticipation for these strategies. So let's dive right in. I want to start with some general habits of just how you eat your food. Because we're so often focused on what we're eating, but what about how we're eating our food? Let me start by giving you what we call the magic order 
of eating your food that's supported by research to prevent blood sugar spikes by up to 75%. That's a lot. So I want you to pretend you have a full plate of food in front of you, pretty well balanced with different options. You got the carbs, you got the veggies, you got some type of protein and a fat. That's the whole food plate. But rather than just digging into your food randomly, I highly recommend and research recommends you start with eating the fiber first. So think your vegetables, your leafy greens. Then once you finish that, you eat the protein and the fat. This could be meat, tofu, nuts, maybe finishing then with the carbohydrates like starches and sugars. So let's say you have tuna, rice, broccoli, and avocado. What order would be helpful to eat these in? Based off this magic order, you're going to want to start with the broccoli because it's high in fiber. Then the avocado, that's going to have some fat and fiber together, so some overlap. Next, you would ideally want to consume your protein, so that's your tuna. And then finally, follow all of those by the rice, which is your carbohydrate. Now, this order is highly researched and highly recommend for eating your foods because what it does is it's going to start filling you up with the fiber and it's going to allow you to better regulate your blood sugar and it's also going to keep you fuller longer. That's the goal, right? We want our food to fill us, to satiate us, to offer us the nutrients that we need. And this is a great way to order it. Now, I fully acknowledge sometimes your food might be mixed up in a stir fry and it might not be possible. But when it is, I highly recommend trying this food order, starting with the veggies, going to protein and fat, and ending with the carbohydrates, you know, those starches and sugars, and see how that makes you feel. Now, another strategy I recommend with eating habits is mindful and intuitive eating. So I am very passionate about mindful eating because think to yourself how often you find yourself watching TV and digging into a bag of chips or scarfing down your meal and barely paying attention to what you're eating. And then you find yourself at the bottom of the bag. And were you even that hungry that you needed a full bag? Probably not. But we were distracted and we weren't mindful and we weren't listening to our body's needs. So the best advice for mindful eating is to slow down, limit your distractions like sitting in front of a TV or being on TikTok or on your phone on other applications, and allow yourself to be present in the moment by slowing down and actually savoring your food with as many senses as possible. Picking up the food and feeling it, smelling it as it gets closer to your mouth. The urge I had to sniff right there, but I thought that would be so weird over a podcast. Um, And then tasting it with all of your senses and those taste buds. Allowing yourself to truly savor what that food is like and that you enjoy it. Rather than scarfing it down so you can get more and more and more to enjoy it. 
There is so much research beginning to back mindful eating and how helpful it can be. As someone with a precision nutrition certification for coaching, this is one of our top strategies that we recommend to one, improve your relationship with food, to stop the restriction mindset and show that you can still enjoy your food when you're making healthy choices. In fact, mindful eating can actually help you enjoy it much more. And second, mindful eating forces you to slow down the rate that you're eating your food. Now, this is important because so many of us are busy, fast-paced. We scarf down our food and go on to the next thing. But did you know it takes about 15 minutes for your brain to process hunger and satiety cues, aka the meaning of satiety is also fullness, so how full you are. That means if we slow down, we can prevent overeating. But if we're eating quickly, chances are you're going to eat and eat and eat and overeat, but your brain does not yet realize it because it has not been 15 minutes to start processing that you're getting full. So I highly recommend try out mindful eating. Now, another habit that you probably hear quite a bit is eat your breakfast. Now, there's actually mixed research on this showing that it can help kickstart your metabolism, but there's a lot of other factors that impact that in a controlled setting. People typically have more routine, for instance. Socioeconomic status can be a factor. So there's a lot of different research. But ultimately, breakfast means breaking the fast. That's where breakfast comes from. Overnight, your body is fasted, meaning you're not consuming food. So it can be helpful to make sure that one of your first meals in the day, whenever you get it, is going to give you energy and will have balance and that you mindfully eat it. Now, for support of eating breakfast, if you eat breakfast and have a larger meal as opposed to just a very tiny snack, this can help prevent eating large amounts later in the day and getting ravenously hungry after not eating much of the day. So there are some benefits to it. So try it out, experiment, and listen to your body. From here, I want to dive into vegetable tips. So if you're sitting there knowing, ooh, I do not get my two servings of veggies a day, this might be an area where we can seek to improve or learn something new. As far as vegetables, two or more servings a day is the goal. If you can get vegetables with every meal, you are doing fantastic and are getting fiber. It's going to be very helpful for your gut health, overall health, getting antioxidants, helping with your immune system. The list goes on and on. Now, I also understand that maybe you're currently not eating any vegetables at all. So asking you to do veggies with every meal, that sounds highly unlikely for you. So instead, make small, progressive changes. Let's start by having you set a goal to eat a vegetable once a day. Maybe you don't even like the vegetable, so you mix it in with something, so you don't really taste it that much. But you start getting your one vegetable a day. And maybe two months go on that you do that consistently, then you set a goal for two veggies a day, and so on to make slow, progressive, but most importantly, sustainable 
progress. Another tip for vegetables, and quite honestly, all your food, is to eat the rainbow. Kind of like I think it's Skittles, taste the rainbow, I think their slogan is. Eat the rainbow. And what this means is to make your plate full of colors. And an easy way to do this is with vegetables. Having red and yellow bell peppers, tomatoes, carrots, green beans, kale, and broccoli. Varying the color. Because a lot of the times, different nutrients are associated with different color vegetables. Now, this is especially applicable knowing I used to grow up with a pretty picky and plain diet. So I might have chicken, mashed potatoes, and corn on my plate. All similar and all the same color. So how could I add a little bit of color and different nutrients into that plate? Maybe switching out the corn with a different vegetable or maybe even mixing in another vegetable like green beans and carrots into the corn to get more balance and more nutrients as I eat the rainbow. I want to dive even further into veggies though because this is a question I often get and a big misconception. Let's talk about canned veggies versus frozen veggies versus fresh veggies. Which should you choose? Ultimately, I want to start by saying any vegetable is better than no vegetable. So thinking about the resources you have, if you can get a vegetable, that in itself is a win. But if you're really trying to make those small progressive changes that add up, Here's another tip of maybe a small substitution you can make. Canned vegetables are typically going to be higher in sodium and there's more preservatives. They have a long shelf life. Anything with a shelf life that long probably isn't that natural, right? It's probably having some level of processing. So canned, we would rank that number three. Now for fresh and frozen, a lot of people are like, well, obviously fresh. But quite honestly, they're actually pretty much tied or they go neck and neck alternating between first and second. Fresh, we know it's fresh veggies and produce, right? But the challenge with fresh produce is it's shipped in trucks. So sometimes it actually ends up sitting a little bit longer. Hence why maybe it goes bad pretty quickly once you first get it sometimes. Whereas frozen, sometimes that is frozen and stored in that bag as soon as it is harvested or very close in between. It doesn't have all that transportation time. So it can be highly convenient and also highly fresh. So fresh and frozen are at the top of the list and cans just under, just because of a little bit of processing and sodium. But again, vegetables are vegetables. So however you can incorporate one, two, three servings or more of vegetables into your day, is a success and makes a difference with your health. The small things add up. Now, let's go into some substitutions here because a lot of the times it's not doing a 180 on your diet. It's just making some small changes and substitutions. So, thinking about how you can reduce processed foods that are high in sodium, kind of just like the cans of vegetables that we talked about, the shelf foods. How can we replace those with the more natural whole foods that are minimally processed? 
making sure we're cognizant of what's coming in a box versus what appears to be fresh or maybe like a frozen thing with minimal ingredients. If something has a long list of ingredients with words you don't understand, chances are it's a little bit more processed than something with a short list of ingredients with words you're familiar with. I also have an amazing grocery shopping tip that I share with people, and they're often really surprised that they didn't put it together. When you're going to the grocery store, I highly encourage you to shop around the edges of the store, and that's where the more nutrient-dense and minimally processed whole foods will be. Whereas if you're the shopper who goes up and down every aisle, that's where a lot of the highly processed foods are. Because they're the shelf foods, right? They have long shelf lives, which means they oftentimes are more processed, have more preservatives, and are higher in sodium. Let's go to another substitution. Eating whole grains instead of refined grains. For instance, whole grains might be a whole grain bread or multi-grain, 12 grain. You might see it labeled as having multiple grains in place of something that would be a refined grain or carbohydrate, like white breads. Now the reason it's recommended to have whole grains over the refined grains or carbohydrates is that it helps lower your cholesterol, triglycerides, and insulin levels. And overall, by doing that, it can help reduce type 2 diabetes risk. That's huge. Making small changes here can reduce your risk for diabetes. So just swapping out your sandwich bread for lunch or your bagel for breakfast to be whole grain can make a big impact. Another substitution, which I love, is noodles. So for all my pasta fans, I'm talking to my sister out there. Here's some smart substitutions we can make. If you're actually making your noodles, you can use a spiralizer to make spaghetti noodles from squash, zucchini, carrots, etc. Several different vegetables. Maybe you're like me and are not so cooking gifted. So I'm buying my noodles pre-packaged in the box. That's the one aisle I have to go down to get something off the shelf. But instead of just buying the first noodles that I see, you know, the typical noodles, I go ahead and I make a substitution here that I highly recommend you try out. Try to look for a black bean noodle, zucchini, chickpea, or even red lentil. Red lentil is my absolute favorite. 10 out of 10, recommend. Now what this does is it adds increased fiber. And remember, we want to get that fiber early on when we're eating because it's going to help keep us fuller for longer and it's going to prevent as many changes and increases in blood sugar. Highly recommend. Let me know if you like it. Now also on the topic of noodles, did you know it's not only the type of noodles but it's also how you cook the noodles. Did you know that noodles that are cooked to be al dente, which is not overcooked or undercooked, but just right, those are healthier than overcooked noodles. Wild. But there's a reason. And it's because al dente noodles, they don't impact your glycemic index as much. And... It lowers insulin production stimulation. 
Now, this makes sense when you think about an overcooked noodle. It's going to be a lot more broken down. It's going to be faster to break down in your stomach, which means it's going to spike the blood sugar more, which is what we want to avoid. Another tip, shifting directions to more protein here, adding fish to your diet. Now, the American Heart Association recommends eating fish at least two times per week as part of a healthy diet. And that's because fish is not only packed with protein, but it also has omega-3 fatty acids, which are great for your brain, your joints. It also has vitamins that are important and nutrients. All of these things which can lower blood pressure and help reduce your risk of a heart attack or stroke. But maybe you're like several people in my family who don't eat fish at all, let alone two times a week or more. A different variation or substitution could be eating walnuts and flax seeds if you don't like seafood. Let's shift to fats. This is a big one. If you see any food items that say trans fat and has any amount of trans fats, even if it's one, two, three, four grams of trans fats, we highly, highly recommend you avoid eating trans fats. These are something that we know are negative for our bodies. Now, when it comes to saturated fats, these are something that we try to limit, but it's okay if we have little bits of this, unlike trans fats where we want to cut it out altogether. For saturated fats, I recommend looking on the back of your labels for food, and you're going to see they have the breakdown of fats, trans fat, saturated fats, so making sure saturated fat's low, and then we want unsaturated or polyunsaturated fats to be where most of our fats come from in an ideal world. Now, another area to pay attention to is sugars, specifically added sugars. So when you're looking under carbohydrates, you might see total sugar content, but then added sugar content. Now, sugar is not inherently bad. We know fruit is really great and full of nutrients, and that has natural sugars. But we do want to reduce added sugars as much as possible. So keep an eye out for that and just be cognizant. Also, if you weren't aware, eating more sugar, which ironically is often a coping skill for people, actually increases potential feelings and experiences of depression symptoms. Shifting topics a little bit more to another strategy, baking versus frying. A lot of people might intuitively know this, but it doesn't mean we do it. I like to say common sense is not always common practice. So here's a reminder for why you should choose baking over frying if possible. This is because baking doesn't really require extra oil or grease to cook, meaning it has lower fat. Whereas frying, thinking about deep frying or pan frying, it uses a higher temperature than baking, which means some important nutrients are lost because of that high temperature. And it also typically requires that extra added oil, which is adding extra fats that are often saturated fats. Now, on the topic of fats, let's talk about saturated fats in the forms of butters and margarines versus unsaturated fats in the form of things like olive oils vegetable oils, things of that nature. 
if you can have an oil over a solid fat, the oil is typically the healthier option for you with less saturated fats. Imagine what would happen if you committed to getting rid of the butters and the margarines or extremely minimalizing them in your consumption of foods and instead switch to olive oils or another type of oil and even use some of the spray olive oils, the PAMs. Imagine the difference that would make as far as not getting saturated fats, which can help your heart health, but also as far as calories. Massive differences with something you use nearly every single day. It adds up. Another area I like to touch about adding up is condiments. And for some people, these add up to be marginal losses when it comes to some of my weight loss clients and who are making choices to cut out calories but forget to consider condiments. I had this one client who constantly said, well, I'm not losing weight. I'm really stressed. My medical indicators like things for hypertension, high blood pressure were getting worse, cholesterol was getting worse, triglycerides getting worse, and they were so stressed because he felt like he was following the nutrition program. But when we dig a little bit deeper, we found out that He wasn't counting all the condiments and he was pouring ketchup all over his eggs, lots of maple syrup on his waffles and things of that nature. He also wasn't really counting some of the drinks that he was having. And that's where some of those extra calories and lots of sugars and lots of fats and processing of food snuck up on him. And by being more cognizant, not cutting them all out, but being more cognizant of portion sizes here and enjoying the food that he had with the condiments helped quite a bit. Now, at a restaurant, you could even ask for some of the dressings, like salad dressings on the side or other condiments on the side, too, to just be a little bit more cognizant. I know we got all the tips going on, but we're almost there. These next tips are for my vegetarians or vegans. Protein can be a big challenge when you're cutting out meat and some other animal products. So... For someone who's vegetarian, not vegan for this case, you could add hard-boiled eggs to a salad to add protein. Now, for vegetarian and vegan individuals, you can use chia or chai seeds or other seeds for protein and for fiber. Tofu is an excellent source of protein that you can flavor and cook in so many different ways. Now, my personal favorite here, edamame. I eat edamame like a kid eating Halloween candy. I love it. My friends make fun of me, but it is high in protein. And the ones that are not shelled and have sea salt sprinkled, chef's kiss. But also some other sources of protein could be lentils, beans, chickpeas, and yes, that includes hummus. Just be aware of portion sizes. Also soy milk and quinoa. All great options for protein. Those are some small substitutions I recommend you consider. Maybe you really struggle to get the food. Maybe it's even throwing in a protein shake there. All substitutions and small changes. But what about the way we prepare our food? We should also talk about that. You can use nonstick pans when cooking to reduce oil that you use. Kind of similar to what we talked about with baking versus frying. Falls into that category. You also want to make nutritious foods that are convenient and delicious. Try new recipes. Have a recipe night with your family or friends occasionally. That keeps it fun 
and exciting. Maybe you don't have time for that, and meal prep can be your best friend then. I highly recommend prepping your meals in advance. You can just heat them up throughout the week if you're busy. Or maybe you don't like the leftovers so much, that feeling of meal prep leftovers. So you just plan your meals. You at least know what you're going to make and bought those foods as a commitment to making them. Now, if you hate cooking and you're really struggling, I got a recommendation for you that I will put in the show notes. Factor 75 is a company that sends you to your doorstep fully cooked meals. It has the protein, it has the veggies, it has the carbohydrates. A little pricey, but if you reach out to me, I have several coupon codes that actually give you one week of free meals. All you have to do is pay for, I believe it's like $11 or $12 of shipping, and you get a ton of meals. That is a huge value item. So if you're interested from using it for so long, I have several discount codes. Feel free to reach out to me. My socials are below in the show notes as well. Now, the other company I recently switched to just because it was a little bit more cost-friendly is called Just Meats. And if you know me, you know I hate touching raw meat. It makes me nauseous. I know I'm the biggest baby with it. I'm a mentally tough person until I touch raw meats or you put me in the cold. Those are my limits, my kryptonites right there. So Just Meat sends you the cooked meat to your doorstep. It's in a freezer sealed type of packaging so it stays fresh for you and you can put it in your fridge and then just heat it up when you want it with all these sauces and it has all of the macros on it for you. I love the brisket if you do decide to try out Just Meats. Again, that will be in the show note below. Not sponsored or endorsed, but please, they could sponsor me. I would love that. But they are great ways, if you have the financial means, to make meal prep easier. It's kind of weighing out, you know, time is money versus meal prep is money. So finding what works best for you. When I have really tough weeks, these are really helpful. Now, my next strategy as far as preparation and thinking about food at home is keeping your food out of sight that you don't want to consume as much. I have a lot of clients who say, I have all these foods for my kids that I have, like the dino chicken nuggets, the french fries, the highly processed Kraft mac and cheeses that are straight powder, the Oreos, all the snacks. And it's okay to have those in your home. But we have something in psychology called stimulus control. And when you see something, it often triggers a response. And when I see the Oreos, that triggers the response, I'm going to eat the Oreos. So if I can put the Oreos in the back of the pantry, put some of the stuff in the back of the fridge, and pull the fruits, the veggies, the whole minimally processed foods forward so I see them first, it often triggers our response to eat those. Now, if you really want the Oreos, you're going to go find them. But I'm sure we can all relate to times when we see a food We didn't really want that food, but just because we saw it, we decide we're going to eat it, right? That's where the strategy comes into play. The other strategy to more of extreme is keeping it out of your house unless you want to get it. So for instance, I do this with like ice cream or candy because I love my sugar. And if I had it in the house 24-7, I would eat it all the time. So what I do is if I truly want my sugar, whether that be ice cream or a Milky Way, which I love, I will get up and drive to the store or walk over to the gas station to get it. And that means I really wanted it badly enough. I'm not just eating it because I see it and it's around. Several strategies. Try out what you please. I do want to touch on just a few more, 
And this is where eating out comes into play. We talked about food at home, but what about eating out? So many of my people who listen to this podcast are busy, productive, highly accomplished people. So it's hard sometimes to find time for food. So when you're eating out, there are some tips you can use. First and foremost, when you're ordering when you eat out, try to order first. So you're not as likely to change your mind when you hear someone else's really tempting and great order that you know probably won't make your body feel good. Now, I also like to ask for to-go boxes sometimes in advance so you can package half of it up. I actually do that with my Chipotle quite a bit because they give me a hefty size bowl at the Muncie Chipotle. Shout out to them. So when I come back home, I take half of it and I put it in a separate container so I can have it for the next day. Win-win, you get two meals. Because if I don't do that, I'll eat about three quarters of it and I'm feeling really stuffed. But I see there's only a quarter left and I'm like, that's not enough for tomorrow. Might as well eat it. And then I feel incredibly stuffed and sick. So this is a great way to help portion in advance so your eyes aren't bigger than your stomach. Now another tip that I use when I'm eating out, especially things like pizza or burgers, I'll actually take a napkin or a paper towel and I kind of blot down the pizza and it can save a few calories but also just saves you the grease that feels very heavy in your stomach. Highly recommend giving that a try. With someone with a lot of stomach issues, it's helped quite a bit. Another quick tip while eating out is always trying to get a vegetable if possible, even if it's just asking for some extra lettuce on your burger, getting a salad instead of the french fries or the baked potato, asking for green beans as a side or carrots, a lot of different ways to get that veggie. Last tip for eating out, technically not eating out, but kind of. When you eat out, find the foods that you enjoy. For instance, maybe at Starbucks, you love the little egg white bites. Go ahead and find a lookalike recipe to make it home and see if you can still get your favorite food from home. And even better, if you can cook it the night before and prep it, especially if you're not a morning person. Now that's all my things for eating out. The very last section that I want to cover today is hydration. Now, I'm going to start by talking about what we call sugar-sweetened beverages. So anything that's got all those sugars in it. This is obviously very challenging because they taste good. They're sugary, fun drinks, whether it be the fun coffees that I've seen on TikTok that have anywhere from 500 to 900 calories sometimes with all the, you know, fall flavors and stuff that they had into that. Maybe it's the sodas that do it for you or the fruit punches or the super sugary lemonades. Now, it's really important to be aware of this and how frequently you're drinking them. It doesn't mean cutting them all out together, but maybe if you find you're drinking them every day, you try to reduce it to six days a week, then to five, then to four, and allowing yourself to consistently enjoy two or three days a week. That alone makes a big difference. The other area with sugary drinks is artificial sugars. There's actually some research appearing that diet sodas might be more addictive than a regular soda. And the World Health Organization actually said that additives like some of these low-sugar, low-calorie sweeteners, the fake sugars, artificial ones, they're not recommended for weight loss. And they're still doing a lot of research on how these impact people. So just being aware of that, 
doesn't mean you have to cut them out altogether if it's your love and your joy and it brings you happiness. But how can you maybe minimize it and find moderation? And finally, the very last tip of the day. Drink your water. This I could not stress more. If you're dehydrated, chances are you might actually think you're hungry. It's common people confuse thirst with hunger. So making sure you're hydrated. It's going to prevent you from overeating sometimes. But it also just helps with your bodily functions, and it is a great form of self-care. I joke that this is one of my best forms of self-care that I consistently do. The only downfall is you might be running to the bathroom quite a bit. Um, That's the story of my life because of how much water that I drink. But it's going to be really critical, and what we recommend is drinking at least half your body weight in ounces. So let's say for easy math, I weigh 150 pounds. Divide that by two to get my half. That would be 75 pounds. And now we convert that to ounces because it's half your body weight in ounces. That means I should drink at least 75 ounces of water a day. So finding a water bottle that helps you kind of track that and carrying it around consistently, that can be helpful. Goes back to stimulus control. You see that water bottle? It triggers the response I need to drink. Same thing happens when you see someone else drink. Triggers the response that you should drink. So trying to take control on that. Overall today, I know I gave you a lot of different strategies. And my goal is not to overwhelm by these strategies. So I hope it didn't. My goal is to share the vast knowledge of tips that I've learned over the years through research and working with clients. Things that clients say, I wish I would have known that. Or their aha moments. Things that I've seen make a difference when clients, myself, or what we see in research studies. When these things are changed and they're done consistently over time, we see important outcomes for health, for weight loss, for weight gain, body composition goals, preventing disease, you name it. I encourage you, after listening to this episode, write down or mentally or even verbally say three things you want to commit to trying to change. And it doesn't have to be all at once. Maybe you write down your three goals, and out of the three, you pick one to start with. Or maybe you feel really determined and you start with three. Either way, reminding yourself these small changes add up. And if you tried them out and listen on Spotify, let me know by answering one of the questions below for Spotify about which strategy you liked the most or found most helpful. And with that, I'll see you next Thursday. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Operation Flourish podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe, leave a review, and share on your social media or with a friend. It goes a long way. See you next Thursday.